To the Ether. Today is Friday, January 13th, 2023. Today on the Ether, the future of DeFi, hosted by GammaSwap. Let's take a listen. All right. I think we have uh, everyone here. So, pretty excited for this space. We have uh, two juggernauts in DeFi, GMX and uh, Olympus Down, and yeah, two kind of upcoming protocols. Sentiments already live with their main net and starting to get some traction. And then we're you know, we're approaching our main net soon, uh, our launch here in Q1. But um, yeah, I think we all are building, you know, kind of different protocols in the DeFi space, which uh, is interesting. Uh, some on Arbitrum, some on mainnet, some on both. But I uh, thought we could get the space here together just to talk about, you know, what DeFi is going to look like in the future, DeFi in general, and how, you know, we can beat DeFi. So uh, really excited for this. We're all going to we have a few questions on on that, so we're all going to chat, and then uh, yeah, we'll open up for questions uh, after. So I guess uh, without further ado, we'll just kind of hop into it with the first question. So I think the the biggest thing, you know, just after the, cla- the collapse of FTX and seeing, uh, you know, what basically how dangerous DeFi can be, and um, yeah, how untransparent it is. It's almost Kind of this half measure and not really a true, truly trustless and transparent system. So I think the big question now is, you know, how can we attract more users into DeFi and away from CFI and have uh, DeFi, you know, actually be competitive and, you know, hopefully uh, a lot of the rails that uh, the future of finance will actually be, you know, operating on. So I'll let uh, CoinFlip actually take that question first. Are you uh, there, CoinFlip? Sorry about that. Can, can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Are okay, you able to hear my question? No, sorry, could you just repeat that? Oh, yeah. So I was just saying, uh, I think, you know, the big thing after the implosion of uh, FTX, you know, CFI is kind of this half measure where, you know, it's not a truly trustless and transparent system, even though, uh, yeah, it's a lot of how crypto users are onboarded into, into DeFi and crypto. So I think the big question now is, you know, how how do we attract more users into DeFi and away from DeFi? So uh, wanted your your take on that first, and we can kind of go around it and answer that after. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's really about. Sorry, put this. I think that DeFi has worked well, and it's sort of proven itself actually during this recent period in terms of how anti-fragile it's been and how the fact is that, you know, the systems that we all intended have continued to work during this, you know, extremely volatile period, and even now during previously slightly less volatile periods. 
what what I don't what I think has happened is that DeFi has often remained sort of this realm of a very small number of members of the crypto community, and that's that's largely been a factor of the fact that it was always it's always been made scary for people to hold their own wallets, despite you know everyone saying not your wallets, not not your keys, not your wallet, not your coin, but it it, it wasn't easy to do, and and from a user experience standpoint, quite often. The experience was also not, neither did it feel crisp nor did it feel intuitive. And I think so a lot of a lot of what's going to continue to happen now is just improving, I think, usability and, and improving communication as to how DeFi works and how it is different. And and luckily, you know, the backdrop that we're now we have behind us from the last few months has made people receptive to the fact that you know, there is a different way to go about this and it does make sense for you to start looking into it. 100%. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, infrastructure is a big part of it as well. Like I think about something like GMX and how, you know, if there were no rollups like on mainnet, it would be hard, you know, to, to operate just like a, a strong uh, type of like perpetual futures platform. So having you know, these innovations and in infrastructure that allow for lower latency, you know, lower cost transactions are, are huge as well for that usability component. Um, yeah, so next, uh, yeah, Indigo, maybe if you want to touch on touch on this a little bit on your opinion on how we can uh, get more users into DeFi as well. Yeah, um, I'll say that like uh, over the last like two years, um, I think it's been like an exponential increase in like the capabilities of the infrastructure and like slowly we've been getting better and better um i, th I look at like uh like wallet connect for example something that like nobody thinks about has improved significantly and we've seen like better wallets right and um we start seeing like okay what can wallets do and how i'm looking at it now is like i think that like as the wallets get better they will be the interfaces and essentially have they'll just hook into like these DeFi protocols and with rollups and like all the better um you know like chains faster chains and things like these interfaces like there's no difference between like there will be no difference between like using a sex and going to like a wallet and just using their like front end that's actually like hooked up to the DeFi protocols that it's using on the back end so i think um and one other thing is like uh it's good that we have like sentiment and gmx guys here because like i think one thing is that like retail loves leverage <laughs> and like you can either be like okay well uh you guys aren't allowed to have leverage and like you know we have like over collateralized systems but then you know gmx and sentiment came and like we give them leverage but the settlement and like liquidations are much faster and better and it's more real time and like it's more of like a almost like a harm reduction type view and so you have like a combined of like better front ends we have better infrastructure for allowing this kind of leverage and like i see that like over time i really do think we're trending more and more to like a place where retail will be able to use this kind of stuff much easier i i do give it like another year or two but it's coming like very fast if you guys use the wallets nowadays they're so much better you just have to just get off MetaMask because MetaMask sucks. But like the other wallets have been improving significantly. So that's my my thought. Yeah, that's huge. I think, yeah, like it's pretty amazing. Like some of the DeFi experiences, how easy it is just to like 
connect a wallet and get started with an app. And um, yeah, I think a lot of people have even thought about how that's better than like a lot of the, the Web2 login experiences with having like login to email and everything. It's just so much more simple with DeFi. So as we can kind of continue to make that experience more usable and make you know the, the wallet kind of easier to, to access and, and uh, leverage, then that's, those are huge steps and huge strides in terms of making the experience more uh, competitive with DeFi. Uh, yeah, the protagonist from Sentiment. Anything uh, you want to add to that as well? Yeah, I, I'd echo both what Indigo and Coinflip has mentioned, um, but I would definitely want to like pin on uh, the communication um, I think is like particularly important. Uh, I think that over time, the interface uh, and the user experience will become enhanced. Um, and I think it's already trending to be uh, on par with what people experience with from a centralized venue, uh, but the communication of what uh, DeFi actually is and, and how to uh, get the most out of this is not super obvious uh, for, for users. Um, so to make the case for using you know, DeFi protocols um, or just decentralized uh, products in general, I think communicating that um, and showing it, it you know, <clears throat> pointing out like what the, the benefit um, is to the end user, I think is super important. Um, and I think a lot of teams could do a lot better, like ourselves included. Um, but I think over time, like that, that will probably be like the most important part, uh, just because I do believe uh, the interface and the user experience will become a lot better over time. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I think, you know, uh, being from like the US, you see some senators uh, only a few really who really get it and then a lot that are just confused and inflate like FTX with DeFi when I think you know a lot of us know that they're they're two completely different um, types of things right so it's just communicating those differences about DeFi and then showing why DeFi is more secure right so I think we've had there an open and transparent system is a much stronger and resilient system as this year's proven, but there's also, you know, unique risks that come with that. And we have, we've had smart contract audits to audit that. Now we're starting to see some like economic kind of like risk audits to minimize any like manipulations. And I think we'll continue to see, you know, uh, third parties come in to audit or, or rate these different protocols. And I think as that matures, it'll help uh, a lot more people come in because then, yeah, you have, the natural benefits of what DeFi is, plus um, the ability to easily assess maybe the safety of a, a protocol. I think that's maybe that latter part uh, where, yeah, we're still making iter iterative strides to getting better at. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Sorry. No, I, I was just going to say, I definitely agree. And shout out to uh, Gauntlet and uh, Small Cons. Um, I think they're doing like pretty, pretty good work on the, uh, economic auditing front. I, I was going to just sort of flag very similarly that I think the economic audits are are something that, you know, I think even a year ago were hardly being discussed, and now everybody's realizing how important they are to this process, especially as the systems that everybody are building are getting so much more interconnected. It was very easy for people to think about what they were doing within a you know within just a sandbox, but once you start extending out, there, there can be some you know real. Um, Cascading is not the right term, but you know, ripple a ripple on effect that, that definitely needs to be looked at. Yeah, it's funny. I'll I'll see you know friends create protocols or or a pitch deck for something, and 
it's integrating with like five different protocols and all these different chains and like yeah all those you know uh i think as long as those protocols are secure it can help but yeah the mechanics of that protocol can change things and yeah it, it can add you know uh more more attack vectors as well so i think that's something that adds some complexity and something we have to be careful of, of course, but it's also, you know, one of the great things about DeFi is how, how composable it is. So as long as we can, you know, uh, do that in a, in a safe way and, and audit the, the risks of that well, um, I think it's actually a benefit. And we'll see, yeah, greater kind of like advancements in liquidity is, yeah, we've seen that a lot with like GMX, all these GOP vaults being built. And then you can cater to different audiences uh, as well with different risk profiles or or different strategies that they're looking to implement. Before we move on to the next question, uh, one of my co-founders, uh, Daniel, joined. So Daniel, if you want to talk about that a little bit as well, I know we've kind of talked about this internally. So curious, uh, uh, excited for you to potentially share some of your thoughts on how we can we can uh, get more users into DeFi. Uh, sure, yeah. So uh, I mean, I think uh, I think the answer is uh, pretty simple and, and there's other people already touched on um, uh, to attract more users into uh, DeFi is the same way that other industries attract more users into their space when they're innovating in a new industry. Um, for example, uh, just make the product cheaper and safer. So if, you, if DeFi is cheaper and safer than CeFi, so you can do the same things that you can do in CeFi, but it's cheaper and safer for retail, then uh, I think it's a natural consequence that they're going to migrate to, uh, to DeFi. So, I mean, that, that's, that's, all, that's all I have to add, I think. I mean, and I think that that's happening is more people building also. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on DeFi. Bullish on DeFi as well. I think we're all bullish on DeFi. Uh, it's exciting times. And uh, yeah, I, I really do think it, it's the future. Uh, so yeah, go, I think uh, we talked a little bit about the risks and maybe uh, mitigating those risks to track new users. So I think this kind of lends well to the next question. Uh, could be a security risk, could be a, a market, go-to-market approach, product market fit, but just curious, what, as I guess founders or, or part of the core team of uh, some pretty big DeFi protocols, I'm curious, you know, what you guys think, like, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see uh, other protocols making in the DeFi space? Uh, and I'll let uh, CoinFlip start on this one again. I, I, I think... Uh, okay, it's not well, what when when I think about what keeps me up at night, it's actually more safety and security. And so, I think you know you hope that other protocols are spending the adequate amount of time on making sure that what they're building, you know, is strong, is resilient. Uh, so that's something that I definitely you know I spend a lot of time thinking about. And then I think the other part, which is it's not really a risk, but I think, you know, you feel really bad when you see a lot of protocols working very hard, but not spending time to really just try to understand how the protocol can be used. Sometimes things can be innovative, but if but if they don't have, you know, if there's not a way for them to be used or for them to sort of get a fit in the market, uh, you know, they may, they may be building blocks to something else, but they themselves may not succeed. So I feel bad when I see that happen with, uh, you know, teams or protocols. Yeah. I think uh, security is obviously the biggest thing, and um, yeah, you, if that if you get hacked or yeah lose the trust of your users, it's, it's really hard to come back from that. Also, yeah, the risk of losing people's funds. You know, um, I think that's that's something that we we need to do to to bring more users in. 
but also, yeah, it's kind of a responsibility as as protocol developers that hopefully we can you know reduce the risks for for our users or make those risks under, be understood clearly. I think that's something that's attractive about DeFi, and then of course it comes with some of the risks that uh, an open and trustless financial system has. So, you know, being able to mitigate those risks while um, yeah, leaning into the benefits of DeFi. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll let uh, anyone else uh, go on that next question. All right, I guess I'll go. Um, yeah, I think that one of the things that became apparent to us recently is a lot of the so because these systems are for the most part immutable, um, a lot of the parameters that we set are not dynamic. While I, while we I believe that they should be. Um, so one of the things that I think is a kind of not really well-researched like design space is like having kind of more dynamic parameters that can adjust uh, to different things. Um, a, an example of this is for liquidations. Uh, the assumption for liquidations is that uh, the price of which you're selling the asset is what you can actually get. Um, but as we've seen, like for very large liquidations, this is not the case, right? It does not consider uh, slippage and all of these. And we kind of, to prevent uh, insolvency, we have these liquidation premiums um, that are for the most part static. Uh, and we try to kind of calculate for, uh, uh, we, we try to uh, compensate for that slippage or that price impact. Um, but uh, I think having a more dynamic way uh, of approaching this would be uh, something that I think is interesting. Um, one of the DeFi, uh, one of the products or, or features DeFi Llama recently like uh, released was how much of an asset can you sell uh, and what price you would get on every chain. Um, and as you can see, like once you start selling, you know, up upwards of in the mid to high seven figures uh, to eight figures of any asset, um, you start to see like a huge deprecation uh, in execution. Um, how this relates to basically all the protocols that we're building, um, both GMX, Sentiment, GammaSwap, and Olympus, um, you know, we all have to think about solvency and think about uh, protocol security from various uh, aspects. And I think that that is one of the things being able to liquidate a position or uh, get risk off from an asset uh, is super important, but right now it's like still very primitive. Um, and I think that's just like one example of like things that we can improve upon. Um, so for new projects, a lot of them are kind of just like tweaking parameters, but they're not really addressing the real issue, which is like, uh, you know, these parameters need to be ro more robust. We need to have the ability to assume a lot more risk in the system uh, if we want to kind of get to the stage of where centralized exchanges or uh, centralized venues um, have the ability to, you know, manage. Uh, so that's one thing that I, I think is like uh, particularly interesting that for the most part is underrated or overlooked. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely echo that. I was going to say a very similar thing. Um, I think liquidity is like such an underappreciated, underlooked at thing in DeFi, even though like if you've been paying attention, like so many problems stem from liquidity, like token inflation, uh, a lot of these like, you know, profitable trading strategies are from low liquidity, things like these, like 
liquidity and like sticky liquidity is like some of the only economic security that's actually available on chain and like the and the only way you can actually like okay i'm kind of biased because i'm at olympus but like protocol owned liquidity is like such an important thing to have and i think having like sticky liquidity whether that's protocol owned or like some other mechanism is like really really important um just for like the fluid flows of like the ecosystem itself um i think like it's still been underexplored like how lending can work with that like right now as as uh, snark said it's like it's kind of just like assumed that like these things will be liquid and like you know um so yeah it's just i think that's something that needs to be looked at but um the other thing i wanted to bring up one of the other big mistakes is like uh and this is like a more of a less technical thing but it's like scaling up DAOs when um DAOs like we had this problem and i think like a lot of other people did and like um if you grow too fast like it really really catches up and it's really hard to manage so like i i would just advise like if if i were to tell any newer projects or anything like just like grow slowly as needed you know and it's really a hard thing to deal with later yeah no i think that's something we felt a little bit as well like we haven't even launched on main yet yet and just some of the we got a lot of traction on testnet luckily and it's hard to to manage like a huge like influx of people yeah um, you get caught up in it and it's like yeah can't drink your own kool-aid like you have to like keep a cool head do not scale too fast i think there's another thing where it's like um our our point of reference is like startups a lot of the time and startups as like physical businesses in the real world like are very very different from these kinds of uh DAOs that manage a protocol it's like um like these kinds of techniques that they use like blitz scaling and things it's like it doesn't even apply here it's completely different so we're just still creating this playbook and then like people are still learning Agreed. Yeah, I, I think um, that's something I, I I used to think about a lot. It's like okay, like we gotta we gotta use like lean startup principles or or coming just from like the Silicon Valley background, thinking a lot like that. And I think you know some things carry over. Like I think measuring product fit, but like I think crypto. One thing that's even more extreme is everything happens faster. You know what I mean? Like you get traction potentially faster. Um, the space moves after is faster. The space is, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week, uh, unlike, I guess, this trade by equivalent. So uh, it's really just a, a whole unique industry and some things apply, but a lot of things are just completely different. Yeah. And somebody can literally copy your entire business and, and, and be up in a couple of days, if not hours, in theory. So, it, you know, I, I, but, but, you know, one thing that, as you said, you know, I, scaling and making sure that you scale carefully is very important. And, you know, I think it's also important to make sure that you, everybody who's coming along, hopefully you're able to get them comfortable with the pace that you know needs to be taken. Because, as I said, if, you know, it, it's easy to get very excited, but it only takes a moment for it all to, you know, come crashing down if things have if things if you haven't taken the right amount of time to make sure that everything is uh, you know constructed as well as you can mistakes will still happen but you know knowing that uh, i mean i've seen i've seen protocols who have have taken bad hits but everybody has seen that they went about it the right way and that trust has gone a long way to also letting them continue to you know rebuild and, and move forward as well so you know. yeah i just wanted to add about uh that question regarding the 
biggest mistakes that uh, other protocols make. Um, I think, uh, um, I mean, I, I agree with everybody else, but um, I think the, the main reason why a lot of this, this stuff happens is because uh, a lot of new uh, projects try to import um, the same product that exists in DeFi into uh, CeFi. And think of the issues that you encounter in CeFi as limitations to what you can build. Instead of thinking of it in, in the way that um, the DeFi version of the same CeFi product, it's not going to be exactly the same, but it's going to offer you the same uh, risk uh, exposure. And therefore, uh, instead of thinking of that um, te technology um, bounds of it uh, as limitations to what you can build, think of it as, um, think of it as uh, uh, features that you can take advantage of. And if you can think of them that way, then you can uh, build something that's more robust and that has a, a unique use case um, that's more uh, resilient. For sure. Yeah, I think um, it's, uh, yeah, it's important to, to take all these things into account and just the, the unique aspects of DeFi versus CeFi. I think, you know, you also see sometimes like protocols fork uh, another protocol and, and they'll tweak it a little bit and maybe not have a full understanding of that protocol or, or change something uh, to make it more like CFI. And then that can also add a uh, unique risk as well. Um, so I think, you know, of course, understanding the, the dynamics of a protocol, if you're going to, uh, you know, be inspired from it or actually, you know, take the code base and, you know, try to, to implement some type of innovation on top of that. It's very important to understand how these works because there's so many yeah different vectors with the composability and um yeah when you change some aspect of it how that uh that product is going to perform or that that um that platform is going to perform now uh so yeah going into that i guess i want to talk a little bit about composability so i guess um how maybe in like the future of your guys's protocols like how how do you see composability be important for your protocol and maybe changing as, you know, as DeFi infrastructure kind of gets better, you know, the latency lowers, the cost lowers, like what, what do you think composability could look like in the future as well? I can go. Um, so I think uh, just as like a background, I, I think like composability is like the superpower of crypto. Like you don't get this kind of thing elsewhere. And um, it's something that's like really unique to us. And I, I, it's one of the coolest things in my eyes. Um, but it's also like one of the biggest risk factors, right? So like the, all this amount of like composability can get really messy at times. And um, so it's something that has to be managed. Um, I think the, uh, I think as we brought up like the security things, like the composability, like uh, if we can like simulate these kinds of composability things before we actually like create these integrations, that'd be really cool. But anyway, um, the question was uh, like, what do I think about composability moving forward? Right? Yeah, yeah it was kind of two pronged. It's you know, how do you see maybe composability changing? For, I yeah. guess for your protocol, as yeah, as your roadmap changes, and then also just generally in DeFi, like what do you think? composability will look like in the future, I guess, versus now? Yeah, um, for us, like, um, for Olympus, like, OM, we finally implemented, like, a, a stability system that's, like, programmatic, um, and it's worked, like, pretty damn well. So now, like, yeah, it is actually 
a game of like integrating and being composable with the rest of DeFi and trying to create like an alternative to like dollar DeFi. Um, I think uh, I think it's really important, and uh, we we're slowly getting there, and um, we'll we'll hopefully be on like more protocols soon. I can't say anything yet, um, and I think like uh, for us specifically, uh, we want to rival something like the dollar, where it's not just like a regular crypto token, where like you kind of just hold and like appreciate, but it, or wait for it to appreciate, but um, we want our token to be used, right, for debt and for, you know, like for actual economic activity and um, being composable is like obviously a huge part of that, right? So like, yeah, we're, we'll be integrating soon into other protocols. Um, and then as far as future, I think, uh, I, yeah, as I said earlier, like, I think um, I, I spoke with Block Science, who, if you guys don't know, is like the developers of CADCAD, which is a systems dynamics modeling sys software. And they're like pretty big on, they make like digital twins for um, for many protocols, right? Like they did for Reflexer and they're doing one for us as well. And I think like those kinds of tools are really important because those let you actually like simulate those composable, like, you know, simulate economic scenarios before like you actually integrate them on a code level. So. I think those kinds of things like and there's there's been a lot more of these kinds of um organizations popping up that actually do this kind of simulation because there's such a huge need for it. So yeah, composability uh in the future my my thinking is that like we'll just have better tools to be able to simulate and get insights as to what kinds of effects these com uh these integrations have before we actually do it versus now where we kind of just you know, think it's cool and then hope for the best. For sure. I think uh, the interesting thing about stables as well, or I guess semi-stables, uh, those type of protocols and even maybe uh, kind of like soft tags, like some of these liquid staking derivative tokens, is that you see like a lot of TBL come to them. Um, I think MakerDAO still has the highest TBL uh, curve, which is mostly stables. I know they're, they're kind of expanding into more volatile tokens, but you know, uh, probably the most TBL on stables is one of the higher ones as well. And uh, I think you kind of see the equivalent in TradeFi, like the lower risk uh, types of products generally have, you know, higher liquidity. And as you kind of go down the risk of the, the, the long tail risk, uh, you know, you have lower liquidity, but then, you know, the protocols that, that build those type of products can earn a lot of fees. So um, I think that's one thing that's really cool about stable tokens and then yeah giving people you know the option of having maybe their their money denominated in something that isn't usd could potentially protect them uh from inflation as well so yeah we'll let uh we'll open it up to anyone else who is wanting to answer that question yeah i think that uh over time like um i guess like i could take it in two parts like one i think uh, composability will be a design decision initially rather than an afterthought. Um, I think more protocols will see the value of having uh, a modular and composable um, design from the beginning uh, before they even build something. And I would say that most of the DeFi protocols that I have uh, either spoken with, um, GammaSwap included, um, they're already designing with like composability in mind, whereas like 
I don't think that was the uh, kind of intent with the earlier DeFi protocols. Um, and I think that, uh, so, so I do think that that will be a benefit. And I think composability would be a lot safer in the future. Um, in terms of like liquidity, I think that there will be certainly like aggregation points uh, within DeFi where liquidity uh, seems to reserve. Uh, and I think that other protocols will just make it their duty to kind of have the ability to access a liquidity from these aggregation points uh, when, whenever it's necessary. Uh, and then like it'll kind of uh, just go back to the reserves uh, whenever it's like not being utilized. Um, so I think as the market becomes more efficient, uh, there might become this kind of uh, market structure such that liquidity rests um, t- in a few places um, in, in normal uh, kind of market conditions. And then over time, like different protocols kind of can get access to that liquidity, uh, do whatever they need uh, to do with it. And then it, it will kind of like go back to its reserve. Because um, like right now, if you think about it, many, most of the capital in a lot of these protocols, Aave, Uniswap, um, is not really being utilized. Uh, so, and, and I think that this is like an inherent inefficiency that I don't think will exist um, over time. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, over time, like it, it may even be like Uniswap or Aave where the, the capital resides um, and they kind of allow other protocols to get access to it. But um, I think in the future, it will be more intentional uh, and more obvious that this is actually the case rather than just a a uh, kind of like second order effect. Well, so I, I, I think that where, you know, where, where that starts to go in is that, you know, well, step one, composability, definitely. I think that the point that was made, which is that, you know, if you're designing a protocol today and you're not keeping composability in mind, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure what you're doing because the reality is that there is just a, it, the, the effect of being able to have other people build over top of you or you being able to build over top of their liquidity, either which way is is something that can easily amplify it. And effectively, it, I mean, without without saying it's the traditional financial system, it sort of reflects the fact that different different pieces of the puzzle will be best in class for what they do. And it's possible for every piece to sort of, you know, share a piece of the value chain that that that's needed. And not, and I don't think you're going to see protocols try to do everything themselves because I I, I you'd be hard pressed today to believe that somebody can address all of that. But I think the interesting thing that will happen is as we go in this further direction, you kind of end up with, well, it, it's permission composable because as you start to talk about having other protocols plug into liquidity, how that happens, if, if there's one thing when things are happening effectively, uh, atomically, but at, at a point where you know they're losing custody of the funds to a certain extent, I think that that starts to become a very interesting space and that's where you know, effectively, you end up with a, I guess you could say, a prime brokerage of a sort. But I think I think we're some ways away. And and again, we we kind of it would be great to see, uh, and there are protocols. Uh, I know people thinking in that space, which is which is super valuable, including here on this call. Great, yeah. Um, Daniel, is there anything you want to add on that on the composability? Um, oh yeah. So um, I think uh, composability is a given since. Um, DeFi, everything's, uh, I mean, CeFi, everything's already composable. Or if it's not composable, they're always trying to make it composable. And it's much easier to make that stuff composable uh, because um, 
you don't need to rely on an existing infrastructure that's already there. Uh, you can always customize everything. Uh, in DeFi, though, um, you have to think uh, ahead uh, when you're building here. But um, so, yeah, so um, you have to think about composability to be able to compete with CeFi. And, um, and I think everyone's already doing that. And um, regarding it, how I see uh, um, uh, like our platforms composing with uh, our protocol, um, well, I mean, our protocol is pretty much a, a risk uh, trading protocol. So, and risk is the, um, probably like the most basic uh, unit of like block or finance. It's every financial transaction is a transfer of risk from one party to another. Like equity, investors take the risk uh, for a variable payout. Bonds, investors take the risk for a fixed uh, payout. And from those two components, you can uh, financial engineer pretty much any other type of financial product. So, um, so I think, uh, yeah, so in our case, if we make our product composable, then uh, I think that would be a, a great uh, middle layer for um, everybody else to use. And, and that's one of the main reasons why I try to make Gaussian as composable as possible. Yeah, I think that's that's great. Like we were kind of talking, uh, the protagonist from Sentinel was saying, you know, there's all this liquidity in, uh, you know, these DeFi blue chips, but they're not really being utilized that well. And I think particularly what we realize, especially in AMMs, is that there's a lot of risk. There's no way to transfer that risk that the LPs are, are taking on. And uh, because of that, you see a lot of mispricing. So I think, you know, we're one way to transfer risk in AMMs. Other protocols can come and build you know, interesting derivations or just compose with us uh, to, to build new ways to transfer that risk. And I think you're going to see more protocols doing that as well. And that, that will help the base layer protocols as well with those blue chips, because now uh, their systems are going to be more efficiently priced and uh, they, it may even drive more liquidity to them. But uh, I'm going to ask my last question here before, uh, before enabling you know people to come on and and ask us uh, whatever question they like about DeFi or uh, our protocols, but uh, this is kind of a really open-ended one. <laughs> but I'm interested to hear people's uh, answers. So, yeah, I'm curious. Like, what's your ideal end state for crypto? I think you know we'd all like it to see it kind of you know surpass uh, CeFi, but I think you know there's different ideas of of what that could mean and. Um, what that's actually going to look like. So, um, yeah, curious to hear everyone's thoughts here. I think uh, I, I'm definitely of the belief that, like, it's a really good outcome if DeFi actually becomes the experimental, uh, the, the way to conduct financial experiments before pushing them into prod. And what I mean by that is, um, I guess an example of this is like uh, DeepMind trained AlphaGo um, on a game of Go before like trying to train it on, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, protein folding problem. And what, what that, like how that correlates to like what we're building here is like we're building new uh, and innovative financial primitives that compose with one another. Um, and that could really create uh, interesting outcomes um, for using this in like a traditional or in the real world sense. And I think if we want to maintain kind of that characteristic and don't want it to be like slow and uh, not innovative and like not really uh, anything novel, then it probably is like a good 
decision to be very intentional about claiming DeFi to be like very experimentative um, with the you know idea that these experiments will eventually be used uh, in the traditional financial system. Uh, so like, I'm, I'd be very glad uh, if we, if DeFi actually, or crypto in general, became recognized um, as kind of like a more, uh, like a, a field of study or like a, a more academic um, or just a, a place where financial exper- experiments can be conducted. Um, and you can get a lot of information, a lot of data, uh, before actually producing these systems in the real world. Um, and I think that that would be a great outcome. While I still think that there's still a really big potential for it to be actually the base layer of what's getting used, um, I just have reason to believe that like some of it will actually become used, um, but most of it will probably still be a little bit too risky or a little bit too experimentative to actually get used um, at scale. Yeah, I think definitely with where things are currently at, it's uh, it's hard to see like a full scale. And I kind of like how you how you mentioned like this kind of like playground, and then having things be adopted, whether that's even in CFI or just like you know things that have proven themselves in DeFi to be adopted. Uh, having that kind of like time horizon and uh, yeah, that basically showing that it, that it works before having like that adoption there is important. I think we kind of see that. You know, with like how the blue chips were formed, they kind of started out as experimental, you know, more kind of like uh, DGENs or like early tech adopters playing around with them. And then as they attracted more liquidity, you see kind of like institutions wanting wanting access to these new primitives or, yeah, I mean, not necessarily the biggest fan, but now you're even seeing like uh, digital currencies uh, being implemented by like some central banks. Uh, hopefully, you know, that's not the path we go down, but I kind of think that's, uh, that's how, you know, in hopefully keeping in the open and trustless way, how uh, innovation is going to happen now in the financial system, which I, I think will, will be better if we, if we can kind of have this playground, because it's so hard, it's so difficult to set up like, uh, like financial type of products, like through the normal, like rails now. So this is, this is a much better way and a much safer way, I think, to to create these new types of products that you know haven't existed before. Uh, I would I would also echo that. I think um, what Snark says is like I think that's like a great outcome. And I would also tack, uh, add on like if it can be properly like looked at as such, like a alternative system that's like for you know like an expert, just like how. Um, if you if you learn like for example tax codes or whatever this is like arcane knowledge that like normal people don't care about right but like if you want to go down that route and actually use you know these kinds of tax advantages or whatever like that's a separate world that's kind of disconnected from like the regular people right and I, but it's totally legal everything's kosher as long as you know what you're doing right i think having that as like for example, for people like us who might be like traveling, you know, you can have like regulated on and off ramps and you have this alternative system that you can use that's like opt in. I think that's a great outcome, honestly. Um, I think the big part is like getting like clear, clear like regulations on this all because it's very scary right now. <laughs> right. Sure. Uh... 
one clip, uh, Daniel, any, anything you wanted to add on maybe what you see as the ideal end state? Um, yes, uh, I, I think uh, the ideal end state of, for crypto or for DeFi, for well, DeFi in general, um, is um, um, having a, a, the retail market, um, well, having DeFi being um, the main uh, product in the retail market instead of uh, having the traditional financial ser uh, sector service that market. I think the traditional financial sector that's great when you're talking about uh, institutions, but um, for retail, I think uh, DeFi would be better since there's a, a better um, they have a, they have a better um, way of bargaining for um, uh, in, in that type of marketplace since it's not just one entity that's controlling everything, but uh, it's rather it's almost it's almost peer to peer, so you don't have to rely on um, a central um, central party. Uh. So because uh, and, and the reason is because. Well, um, the financial industry is is actually a resource allocation middle layer for society, and uh, resource allocation is a political decision. So, letting the public have more control over how the resources are allocated is increasing uh, self sovereignty and accountability. So, overall, I mean that's a net positive for society as a whole. So that's why I think it would be better if um, if um, DeFi becomes the main uh, financial middle layer for. Um, for the retail market. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I think the way that I think about the end state for, for crypto more generally, I mean, really it is, it's, the, it's, it's that point where it's an infrastructure layer and you know who talk about it. You know, today you don't say, oh, well, I needed to do online banking using the internet. I needed to shop on Amazon using the internet. I mean, quote unquote, the internet, the rails, they're just they're just a given part of our life, and they they function well behind. But but I think to the point, but it but it's been reinvented in a way that is transparent, and it is clear, you know, what your data is, how it flows, and and who and how you control your assets. If I take that and extend that to DeFi, I mean, my real hope is that a lot of the things that you know, for example, in the last few months, we've shown DeFi that there's the ability to have immense transparency within the financial system and how that can extend beyond. And, and that doesn't mean that everything will be DeFi, but I hope that a lot of the principles of transparency can be ported over. I don't see a, I don't see a reason why the liquidity position and and the fundamentals of, you know, a regulated bank should be as transparent as a DeFi protocol. I understand there's a lot more data. I understand there'll be a lot more inputs, but there's no reason that information can't and won't over time be more readily available so that be it, you know, even if there are regulators uh, in the state, they have access to that information. And and I think hopefully we can start to, you know, lead the way. So to that extent, I think a lot of it is, you know, what we're doing in DeFi, but it's hopefully the principles also carry forward. Yeah, something I, you know, uh, Daniel brought up to me and I thought was really interesting, but, you know, the internet basically decentralized like, information sharing. Like before you had a few media companies kind of controlling the narrative and uh, yeah, it was all kind of dominated by these, these institutions where we would gather our information. And so, you know, the people had a lot less control and a lot less access to, to credibly neutral information. I mean, now with, with some of these algorithms and like fake news, those are this new risk, but essentially with the internet, you know, anyone can communicate with anyone, it's really easy to access information and educate yourself, and it's really you know enable people to uh, to get access to information to democratize that. And you know, I think we 
even with the internet, we've had a similar problem with the financial systems. Like there, yeah, there's, um, it's been kind of opaque. Uh, it's hard to create innovation, to create new products. And um, yeah, that, that stifles, I think, the, uh, the economic freedom uh, of people. And now we have crypto that's kind of innovating on that. And, you know, uh, I think like in the early days of the internet, it was not necessarily used by everyone. But I think as we, we kind of uh, get the kinks out and make the infrastructure more easier to use and uh, make it safer, that will happen. And I think there will be kind of like this part of uh, crypto that's, you know, kind of like opt-in, that's more like a playground. And then there are going to be parts of crypto where it's totally blurred. Like someone could come in, you know, through a centralized exchange or centralized venue and they're interacting with crypto and they don't even know it. Or, yeah, maybe they're making some type of transaction and they don't even know it. Or, yeah, it's just part of how everyone does their everyday activities. So I think that's really... uh, what the future is going to look like. And yeah, I think is, is my ideal end state because you want to keep that freedom of innovators to be able to develop and, um, you know, not necessarily have to go through a ton of crazy regulations uh, to be able to innovate because that cycles innovation. But we also want something that's safe and easy for yeah, the general populace to use and, you know, um, enable, enable their lives and help them have easier access to yeah their their financials and the safer financial system so i think both are important that being said uh going to open up the floor now to anyone who has questions we'll probably do that for the next 10 to 20 minutes here depending on the number of questions and then yeah we can we can kind of hop off the space will be recorded so anyone can can reference it later but yeah opening up the uh floor for questions now Looks like we have one uh, request from Eric. I'm going to add you to the speaker now. Hey, Eric. Uh, can't really hear you that well. You sound kind of muffled. Is this better? Yeah, that's a lot awesome. Better. Sorry. AirPods are terrible. Uh, um, uh, question to, I guess it's relevant, I think, for all of you. Um, I, I was curious if Vitalik did a really interesting, I think, tour in where he went down to Argentina. Um, I think it was for EF reasons, but he he made a super interesting observation of like how how is crypto experienced kind of outside of kind of the US and the EU. And the thing he found was, hey, everyone's no one's going on chain actually. <laughs> everyone's literally using Binance. Um so question for all of you is like when you talk to or like interact with users in very different parts of the world, like how, like how did they see DeFi? Like, cause I, I think like someone in Williamsburg, right? Like the DeFi degen from consensus, like this person is going to view DeFi very, very differently, right? From someone, I don't know, in Buenos Aires or in Africa. Like, I'm just curious what, you guys hear from your users and like how these different types of users behave and like what what do they want from DeFi? I can answer that one uh, first and I'll let anyone else jump on as well. I think um, something that uh, I've kind of realized being able to travel a little bit, especially through Latin America is just, yeah, some people, uh, you know, maybe in the States, for example, they, they know about crypto and they're looking to get more leverage than they can in the traditional financial system or 
access to different types of like assets and uh, different types of payouts. And then here, I think I've seen, you know, people request to be paid, you know, contractors online, be paid in stable coins, have access to the US dollar. And uh, yeah, I've kind of explained to them like, yeah, if you're, for example, your your currency is denominated in pesos and you don't have no control over like what the government's doing. If you go on a centralized exchange and get access to a stable coin or, or you're doing any type of like contracting work and getting paid in that stable coin, that's a way to, yeah, get access to the US dollars like more easily or, or any other currency, a different type of currency. So I think in some ways it's a way if you're in a country where maybe the government isn't making the best, you know, uh, like central banking decisions or decisions on the supply of your currency. Now you have a much easier on-ramp to other currencies. And then, yeah, I think maybe if you already have, if you're in a country with a stable currency like the US or, or Europe, um, semi-stable, I guess, because inflation is pretty crazy right now, even uh, in these areas, but you might be looking for just a different type of, uh, yeah, exposure in your portfolio, uh, different type of risk exposure. Or um, yeah, maybe taking advantage of some of the inefficiencies that are still available in DeFi. Uh, so I think yeah, it really depends on on where you're from. But I think that's the cool thing about crypto is that there's so so many different types of products being built. Uh, but there's different ways to access it, and I think all of those are important. Um, I think you know the more we can interact with open and trustless systems, uh, the better. But uh, yeah, I think I realize a lot of people realize that that's, it takes a while to get there. So um, it's okay to kind of take those incremental steps, maybe where it's not fully DeFi, but better than the current system. I, will, um, I would echo that. Um, one of the biggest things I've heard, I have a friend, um, Asfi, if you guys know who that is, he's like a community member and he's like around DeFi quite a bit. Um, he's Pakistani and he he talks about how like um, one of the biggest problems he had in the past and like the people that he knows um, back home, he says that are like, it's just access to dollars. Everyone in the whole world wants access to dollars, but there's actually not enough dollars. And if you guys know about like the Euro dollar system that evolved over the last 70 years, it was to actually solve for that problem. So um, crypto like went out outside of here, like, in the first world countries, we're very privileged. We get to look at, you know, like we experiment with these new things, but like a lot of other countries, what they want is just access to better currencies as, uh, as Devin was saying, like, um, there's a lot of mismanagement in their own currencies. So they just want credible alternatives that are secure. Um, you know, like if it's USD right now, just because like, you know, interest rates are high, blah, blah, blah. And it happens to be the safest and most liquid. But I think like the the true thing is the like the real underlying thing is like people just want um, the option to not be stuck with what they're born with, right? Um, yeah. So um, I'll just echo what uh, Indigo said. Um, but um, I mean, you have to take into account that the United States uh, is only five uh, percent of um, about five percent of global population. But it makes up about 25% of global GDP also. And about a decade ago, it's uh, equity markets made up, made up about 40% of all equity uh, trading in the, in, in the world. 
Well, I'm not sure if it was equity trading or, or equity uh, market capitalization. So, and uh, credit derivative is even way bigger than equity. So you can imagine what those differences must be like relative to other countries. Like other countries don't even have uh, a derivatives market. So, and especially if they're um, developing countries. So it's, it's probably, um, yeah, so, so that use case of uh, a lot of the products that people are building on DeFi it's, uh, it's probably more applicable to the developed world than it is to the developing world. But that doesn't mean that, um, that uh, I mean, it's not going to catch up because it's a global, globally accessible product. Like if you're in Latin America, you probably want to invest in uh, U.S. equities, but you can. You have to open up an account in the U.S., and so you have to get dollars first. And it becomes difficult. But with crypto, it's accessible to anybody anywhere. But then that use case, I mean, it's not something that is popular for people just to just do. It's something that I think will come over time. So, you know, one of the things I was going to say is that, you know, I think that obviously, you know, one is the focus on the actual currencies. I think the other is having control over your assets. And quite often, you know, in, in, if you think about it in a very simple way, you know, in the West, owning shares is actually a very clean way to own own an asset. It's managed. You can you can you can enter it. You can exit it. It is an it, it is in, a, in an interesting way, not just a store of store of value, but you know, in something that that has productive purpose in in society. And quite often, I think, especially as you go through the developing world, you know, as as everybody said, you may be limited to what opportunities are immediately available to you, and then you do have capital restrictions and the like that restrict U.S. equities and other other areas for capital to you. I think everything becoming universal is where, where where people will be a lot more comfortable. And the reason being, and I've spent time in some of these some, some of these geographies. I mean, when you're worried that keeping money at home isn't safe because it can be taken from you, when you're worried that you have to keep it in a bank, as everybody said, in a currency that will effectively perpetually lose value, you you have no way to store it. DeFi crypto more generally allows you to basically be a member of you know, the global economy. And I think that's where more and more we're going to see, you know, that move away from the U.S. dollar, which right now, obviously, using stable coins is our proxy for the interface with, you know, finance in general. But, you know, I'm not sure, maybe it will be Olympus. Maybe it will be other tokens and other and Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and others that, that become that base layer. And for people, it's a way to just say, I now have access to a global currency, a global unit of trade. And that's that's potentially the, the way this all goes as governments become less and less reliable. Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll echo what uh, also Conflip said. Um, property rights in the developed world are taken for granted. Um, they're not as strong in the developing world. Like people have houses in some places in Latin America and they don't even have a title to the house. And the only uh, um, proof of ownership is just kind of like tradition that, uh, oh, well, their parents live there and their grandparents also live there. So, and everybody in the town knows that that's their house. But they don't even have a title. So they can't even get credit. And the bank won't even give them credit because, well, they don't have a title. And, um, and that's a big problem there. And, and but I mean, the thing with crypto is that, um, well, you actually do have ownership of the asset since uh, you have the private keys to it. You actually own it. There's no other way um, that, that, that it can be. You, you have proof there. Yeah, or you may have property rights in some of these countries, but the, the, right, like, the property rights vary depending on the country. I know, or I've heard stories of like, uh, what's happening in Venezuela right now. Like You could have a title for a property and the government will revoke that because 
yeah, either the rights are different or that government is choosing not to abide by those rights. And so I think we, yeah, if you're in a developed country, maybe you're lucky to to expect that as a norm. And uh, you're looking, what you like in crypto is something different, but I think uh, developing countries have, have a lot to benefit with DeFi. Um, that, but the adoption curve is, yeah, going to look completely different than maybe what it's going to look like in a developed country. That, that's awesome. I, I was hoping you guys would say that, and it's good to remind everyone why we're here. All right, I'm going to shut up and hop off. See you guys. Yeah, thanks, Eric. If anyone else uh, would like to speak, please uh, request to speak. I don't see anyone right now, but would love to have some others on. Let me give it a, a minute or so more. Oh, we got one person requesting to speak. Adding you now, Julian. Uh, Julian. Hey, Julian. Not sure how to pronounce your username there, but happy to have you. Hey, guys. Um, thanks for having me up. Um, I guess I just want to gauge um, what everyone's thoughts are on kind of getting volume on exchanges, on like DeFi. Um, and like getting market makers as well onto DeFi because usually make that experience of like low spreads um, just better for the overall users and like what the approach has been with that. Can you, can you repeat that question? Yeah, sorry. Um, I guess, yeah, the question is just like what your approach has been with like getting market makers and other players that like provide um like price stability and like better spreads across uh well centralized exchanges onto like decentralized options um and how you're kind of going about that yeah i can i can just quickly talk about some of my experience uh talking to market makers so yeah we're you know launching soon we're gonna have a governance token and so a lot of people recommended that we talk to some market makers but yeah at least uh maybe not some of the quant funds but some of the market makers we've spoken to mostly market make on centralized exchanges uh, instead of DeFi uh, because I guess maybe it's something that they feel like they can control more or is more nagla, uh, yeah, more comparable to, to how you market make in traditional finance, like with an order book. So I think, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot less market making going on chain by like traditional market makers. I think we're starting to see some more DeFi native market makers and quants come on. Um, and, you know, I think there's also been pressure uh, for developers in DeFi to build things that are that are closer to CeFi, so that, yeah, market makers can trade on them more. I think we will start to see more order books, but I also think, you know, uh, DeFi is something that is supposed to be for retail, and there's benefits to market making and liquidity, but we should build products that, that are better for the people, because in the long run, I think that's what's going to, you know, help more people in the world uh, and eventually, you know, attract more liquidity and build something that's competitive with CeFi and not just going to initially attract liquidity. So uh, that's kind of my perspective. I think we'll, we'll see kind of like more traditional CeFi products being built. But um, yeah, I think in some ways uh, it's important to keep to our, to our DeFi roots too and uh, build new products that, yeah, maybe have not seen and seen before in CFI may not attract as much equity in the sheet, but uh, are potentially even better products than what existed before. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I think uh, like, uh, if, if you have uh, an issue with um, the spreads and liquidity, it's most likely a protocol problem 
not that you need more market makers. Because if you, this stuff, uh, I mean, the, um, DeFi is supposed to be, um, so it's using a blockchain. So blockchains are supposed to be used by lots of, lots of people, like millions of people, not just a few people. So it's that, uh, the traditional financial sector doesn't have a problem with trust. Um, uh, millions of people, the public has a problem with trust you know, with the financial sector. So for that reason, blockchain is an efficient way to uh, solve that problem. So therefore, try to, uh, trying to build a protocol that's depending on market makers or supposed to cater to market makers or, or traditional uh, financial institutions. It's sort of like uh, building uh, Facebook and, uh, and trying to get C CBS or uh, MSNBC on Facebook. And uh, otherwise, the Facebook is not going to work out if uh, we don't have uh, the traditional TV channels in it. So, um, so, so that's, that's how I see it. But, uh, um, I mean, if it's, if it's working well, it's attracting retail. Uh, for example, Uniswap didn't need um, Goldman Sachs to come in and make markets in Uniswap in order to get a lot of liquidity. So, um, so, th so that, yeah, so that's how I see it. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I mean, Uniswap is an AMM, um, not really the same as like other places that are like order books that kind of need that market making situation for the spread and so on. Um, I, it was just kind of an approach on like how you're uh, looking to onboard like different players because, you know, a healthy ecosystem does have a bit of every player um, as well. And I, I guess, yeah, the question was more on like how you're kind of looking to onboard those like different players uh, into the ecosystem. Okay, well, I mean, at the protocol level, I'm making it open so that I, anybody can come in and use it. Uh, there's no restrictions. And that's the part of the beauty of the whole, um, the, this whole technology that anybody can come in and use it. Um, but um, but yeah, but I mean the main um, the main customer is obviously uh, the retail market, since uh, that's who it's supposed to be used for. It's like the, um, the banking system didn't need Bitcoin; it's the public that wanted Bitcoin. Yeah, I think kind of going back to composability as well. Like if you partner with other protocols or integrate with them, um, potentially that's a, a new way to to track liquidity and. Yeah, if you have a little bit more liquidity out of the gate, maybe your your market, your protocol will operate more efficiently and you know, more people can leverage it. So I think that's something, you know, unique with uh with DeFi and something we've definitely been thinking about integrating into these other AMMs and then partnering with other protocols uh on Arbitrum potentially. Um I think, you know, if we build something I'm just thinking about GammaSwap here. If we build something that's interesting to retail, then institutions will want to come in later. But I think, uh, yeah, we've we've talked to some people with more trade by backgrounds, and they've pushed us to kind of build something more institutional. And I think, um, I think there's definitely uh, protocols that that can do that and will be catered more to institutions. But uh, that's kind of not the direction we decided to take. But yeah, I think if there's enough liquidity, other people could compose on us and build more institutional products, and then eventually market makers will wanna wanna come in. But um, I think uh, yeah, since maybe since we're in AMM kind of uh, derivatives on top of AMMs, the market that we're we're trying to approach is I think more retail focused. And yeah, if we can get that retail, then other people for more. After we've kind of proven ourselves, other people from more institutional backgrounds would come in as well. Um, was the question more of like, I'll just assume that the question was more of like how you would go about like bootstrapping liquidity and getting people to actually provide liquidity. I would say that um, GammaSwap is actually my, my favorite solution to this is because 
I don't think that we actually need, um, from what I understand, like regular market making for many tokens is like pretty basic. So what you actually want is like the ability for market makers in DEXs to be able to hedge themselves properly. So they can actually have like better payoffs than what is traditionally done. So like right now, everyone just deals with impermanent loss and then you might get like liquidity mining and things to fix that or like, you know, offset some of your losses. But with gamma swap and like other options, infrastructure, more derivatives, like we can actually start looking at these as like, you can shift the payoffs so that it is actually more attractive. And I think like as time goes on, we'll see more of this. Like we don't, we don't have to rely on like external market makers. What you want is to democratize the tools for anyone to be able to do it themselves. Profitably. Yeah, I think our, our protocol is a little bit complex. We're, we're working on um, content and actually, you know, the user experience to make it more simple. But our long-term goal is we feel like AMMs right now are becoming more complex and crowding out retail. And our eventual goal is to create a system where retail can, can passively LP and expect to be profitable on average. Part of that is giving them hedging strategies. And part of that is, you know, uh, giving them those fees from the volatility because that's the unit basically people are, are selling in an AMM, but they're being compensated in volume. And I think there, there's an efficiency there. And if we're able to create that two-sided market, I think it'll look like more like TradeFi where implied volatility has overstated historical volatility. 83% of the days since 1990. So the edge has been the volatility sellers. So we're hoping that we can keep that edge to volatility sellers and AMMs and just attract more liquidity to DeFi. But we want to be, yeah, particularly at least for our protocol, we want retail to, to be able to market make and democratize that. So I guess, particularly for us, um, we're, we're hoping retail can, we, more mar- retail can be more market makers and uh, yeah, have that access um, instead of more like traditional finance where yeah, it's a, it's a few institutions you know, competing for latency uh, and lots of liquidity, uh, just competing to market make on these like order books. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the kind of thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I know you're kind of hinting at like bringing on users and having them be that. Uh, yeah, just being a lot more directed towards uh, retail. Do you think that it's like scalable? Um, you mentioned like Arbitrum right now, but like if you get like actual exchange transaction volumes and like, do you think Arbitrum is like enough to sustain uh, like what a centralized exchange um, does in terms of like transactions or how do you kind of see that evolving, uh, whether it's with GammaSwap or with DEXs on like just the amount of transactions that you have to process when you're actually doing like bringing on even retail that does like high frequency trading or anything like that? Uh, well, so um, can transactions in a blockchain go to the point of uh, what happens in uh, centralized exchanges? Is, is that your question? Um, just asking on like scalability, how you're going to manage like the amount of transactions you're going to potentially have on a on an exchange um, on a dex like Amazon um, if you get like a lot of volume, comparing it to something like Binance, which has like the most um, trades happening at the moment. Oh, oh, okay. No, yes, because uh, I think um, 
like th that question uh, is an assumes that uh, that uh, the C phi and D phi are going to work exactly the same way. That, uh, for example, uh, training volumes in in C phi have to match uh, training volumes, or well, not necessarily volume, but uh, the frequency of training. All right. Um, I think uh, if you're a very um, uh, if if the price variation at a, at a micro level, like one penny, something that's very significant to you, then uh, then of course uh, uh, DeFi is not really a good solution for you. But that means that most likely you're not a retail user; you're probably a professional user. So the TradFi system will, will work very well for you. Uh, you can do a high frequency trading there. In uh, DeFi, it's going to look something different. I mean, in DeFi, it's going to look something different. The closest thing to uh, high frequency trading that you have in in DeFi is what you see with uh, Uniswap V3 and just in time liquidity, so those types of uh, those types of, of uh, solutions are going to exist in uh, in DeFi that don't exist in CFI because it's a it's a totally uh, it's a new different infrastructure. So um, so it wouldn't be high frequency trading that you have to uh, try to handle because a blockchain is just not built for that. A, a blockchain is inefficient if if you're trying to do high frequency trading in it. So, um, blockchain is uh, the main point of a blockchain is to be a uh, secure. Um, like since nobody can alter it, it's uh, expensive to alter it, uh, secure and, um, and reliable. Like there's no um, there's no single point of failure. So uh, in those regards, uh, uh, DeFi can always uh, work better than than CFI for, for those for those reasons because it's distributed and uh, it's, it's more secure, it's more reliable. Uh, but uh, for, so so uh, uh, I I mean I think that technology eventually is going to scale so to be able to handle more transactions uh, per second. Uh, there's probably going to be more layer two uh, uh, networks. So, but um, but in terms of uh, actually uh, fitting the same use case as uh, as Stratify fits for uh, high frequency trading or or, or that that type of uh, um, trading, uh, I don't think uh, uh, DeFi is is uh, fit for that since that's more of an institutional problem than a than a retail problem. Yeah, sorry, maybe I wasn't clear. Uh, I was just using high-frequency trading as an example of something that can be done, but just when you're growing to the size where you have millions of users and millions of users are trying to put on a trade, um, is that really sustainable on something like Arbitrum or how are you guys kind of looking to solve that situation if you have millions of trades happening um, on your platform in DEX format? Um, you don't need to explain like blockchain to me. I've been in the space for like seven years. Um, all right. No. Well, I mean, this is a this is actually an infrastructure problem. Uh, it's not so much as a DeFi problem. The city is an infrastructure problem. So uh, you're talking about network scalability. We already had something like that happen in 2021, and uh, fees went up substantially. So I think uh, with fees that high, there's always an incentive for people to uh, provide uh, other layers to uh, expand the uh, support for uh, for more transactions in the in the network. Okay, I'm asking because I'm working with like different DEXs as well and like a solution they've gone to is whether it's a subnet on Avalanche or doing their own chain on uh, Tendermint and SDK or having like their own supernet on Polygon. Uh, like there's different ways that DEXs are approaching kind of the scalability side and when you're starting to manage a bunch of transactions. Um, and I was just asking if you guys were kind of pondering that uh, like decision to be on Arbitrum or how you're kind of looking to scale if it comes to the point where you have to scale out of Arbitrum, um, how you kind of look to move forward on that. Okay, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we're still like a pre-launch product, so that's uh, a problem that we would love to have, but we don't have it yet. Uh, but uh, I mean, definitely, if, uh, 
if it is an issue like that and uh, it's an infrastructure problem and no one's solving it, then, um, well, yeah, I mean, the most obvious solutions right now are just to scale into a different network. Uh, but, uh, I mean, we're a pre launch product. We haven't uh, really uh, spent enough time thinking about that yet. Okay, cool. cool. Thanks. Yeah, it was just trying to learn a, a little bit more on how you're kind of looking to solve uh, the future of how you're setting up the protocol for the best success. Yeah, I think it's definitely something we're, we're going to think about uh, in the future. I think right now we just saw a lot of DeFi innovation on Arbitrum and kind of going to the composability that was great for us. And then, yeah, low latency and low fees are, are awesome. But uh, yeah, really appreciate the, the question, Julian. And uh, yeah, we'll let uh, someone else up to speak. Oh, looks like we got uh, Toji up here. So let me add him as the speaker real quick. Yes, I, I heard you. I heard you said um, Arbitrum. Uh, you moved over. You using you're using Arbitrum because DeFi um, has great innovations, GLP, um, all these different things. Um, if I, I'm trying to phrase my question right, um, when would you see the need for a subnet? I guess I when would you because to a subnet or some something else, some type of scaling issue. I think it would be very apparent first, early, but that's just me. Okay, uh, the need for a, for a, a, a layer two, of course, uh, you get to that point if uh, the network fees are so high that, uh, that it's not even worth it to transact anymore for the uh, average person, then uh, yeah, just, then that's when you have to start thinking about um, uh, if there's no solution for scaling this within the current network that we exist, then we have to uh, uh, start expanding to another network and uh, shift um, some of the same products that we have on one network to the other network. Um, do you do you find do you favor SDKs for that? Start layer threes for that, or Polygon, or Avalanche, or Polkadot, even. Yeah, actually, you know what? Uh, it's um, I mean, we're still having uh, made a final decision or any of that stuff. Too. I mean, the stuff is still like. Uh, um, it's a great problem to have, but we don't have that problem yet. So uh, it's um, definitely something that we'll look into it uh, when, when we get to that point. Yeah, I think, um, you know, GMX has seen insane amount of volume and still doing well on Arbitrum. And so right now, I think we're focused on building the best core product that we can. And if we have that problem in the future, I guess we'll have that problem in the future and have to face it. Um, it's not something, yeah, that we're focused on or super concerned about right now, but yeah, could be a problem down the line. It, it's a problem worth having at some point, but you know, I think there's so much scope to, for people to continue to grow on public blockchains that it's not, I'm not sure there's yet a reason for most AMMs to, to move off. Okay, cool. Yeah, thanks for the uh, question, Toji. Uh, let's see if there's anyone else here with a question. Yeah, if anyone, else has a question, uh, feel free to request to speak. But uh, yeah, might uh, end this soon because we've been on for a while. So if anyone has any last minute questions, just request to speak. Okay, looks like that was everyone. So uh, really appreciate uh, our speakers for joining today. Uh, GMX, Sentiment, Olympus Down, and all the great questions we got. And now thank you all for, for joining in to listen. Uh, the space will be recorded. And we'll share it after. So, yeah, thank you very much. And uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether.
That was The Future of DeFi, hosted by GammaSwap. Recorded on Friday, January 13th, 2023. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support. Now, with Spark IBC enabled. Sneaking through back alleys on a little cosplay Broadway all day, looking like the wrong way Resuscitating major players in the waiting room Sifting through the paperwork while I be debating fools Breaking rules, breaking bad, like we always wait for doom Slayed a few in my early years, often ate the shroom Sitting in the dark, waiting for the daily news To let us know what we should believe as the latest truth Stay aloof, writing rhymes in the studio Trying to keep it well lit like filming a movie role Sorting through support from your endorsements Of course we're tripping balls, handing reports in the latest proof ain't a way to move, change the view Just a bunch of pack of heads living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner, finger licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute, then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Big thinking energy always gets the best of me When I kick it in the lab, messing with new recipes Gotta mix and match, flip the lash, letting rhythm scratch Dope shit, spitting facts with my vision smash Big drip aristocrats, dishing out a list of trash Missing wisdom, this fish is too big to catch Better let the missus know where you hit the stash Watch your next step, bro, before you hit the traps Walking on eggshells, tripping over landmines And I'm about done dealing with these damn lies Man, I'm looking at this planet like a franchise Chastised into digging holes in the back nine the latest proof ain't a way to move, change the view Just a bunch of peck of heads living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner finger, licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute, then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Spaces.